We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. This podcast is part of the Bomb Pod Media Network. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of the world. You guys hear that? show everybody i am your host tony merkel and you are listening to the confessionals a proud partner of the bomb pod media network and a proud featured show on blogtalkradio.com if you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show please give me an email my email address is the confessionals podcast at gmail.com that's the confessionals podcast at gmail.com or go to the website the confessionals podcast.com hit the connection section and you can reach me that way as well now we do itunes shouts for everybody who does an itunes rating and review on iTunes and this week's shout out for the people who did it last week is This Crazy Cowgirl A.W. Vanderwolf and Gustavo LOL Thank you guys for going ahead and leaving that rating and review. It means a lot to me and it helps the show a ton on iTunes grow and get exposure for more people. Now for this week's Patreon shoutouts, if you go to patreon.com backslash the confessionals, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash the confessionals, you'll see a bunch of different rewards if you become a patron and help support the show. And last week we had Richard E., and Stephen D. Richard E. became a groupie, and Stephen D. became part of the squad. So I really appreciate it, fellas, for joining the Patreon page and supporting the show and believing in what we're doing. It means a lot to me. So if you're interested in becoming a Patreon, go ahead to patreon.com backslash the confessionals, and you'll check out all the cool different rewards we have waiting for you. Now, this week, we have a special follow-up episode from the Mandalay Bay, The Untold Eyewitness Stories, episode 38, where I brought on Rick and Jeff, who were at Vegas when the shooting happened. Now, Rick was actually at the concert being shot at, and Jeff was actually at the Bellagio, which is two miles away, where he heard gunshots as well within the Bellagio and heard somebody say, there's a shooter. So... 
We bring on Rick this week, who's been diving into research, trying to find out what happened to him that night with his wife and their friends in Vegas at the Harvest Fest. Now, we're also bringing on Alika. Alika is actually the show's graphic design coordinator who also connected me to Rick and Jeff. So the three of us, Rick and Alika and myself, are going to be sitting around talking about some of Rick's research. It's going to be much more of a lighthearted conversation tonight. We're going to be enjoying each other's company and discussing what happened in Vegas. So without any further delay, let's bring on Rick. Let's bring on Alika right after this. Okay, tonight I have a really good show. I'm really excited about doing this, and it's something that I've been wanting to do for quite some time, at least a month now, and it's just been kind of put on the back burner. Uh, I have two guys with me. One guy's name is Alika. The other guy's name is Rick. You all know Rick from the Vegas show. He was the first witness on the show when he was actually at the concert being shot at. And I have Alika here. And Alika, if you are a patron, you do know who Alika is because he was on a show where we talked about how he connected me to Rick and Jeff, who were on the Vegas show. Alika is the guy who actually helped get that whole thing going. So, Alika, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. In Hawaii. It's an awesome day. Yeah, it's nice. It's a little moggy, but it's nice. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Now, Alika, you and I connected here and there and stuff, and you kind of put this whole thing together where – what happened was you were getting messages from a lot of different people who experienced stuff at Vegas. If you could, for the audience now, for the public audience, could you just go into how that whole thing developed for you and you know what happened that you had these people emailing you? Yeah, so um, I heard about the Vegas shooting. I woke up that morning. I was kind of freaking out. And um, then I decided to just contact my friends uh, who live in Vegas. So... I contacted them and I was just listening to these stories and one of my good friends, her husband went to go pick up one of their friends who went to the concert and they were talking about like somebody was shot like right next to him and they were just telling me about all the the crazy stuff that was going on. So I was kind of freaking out. I was glad everybody was all right. And I started looking into it and I contacted one of my other friends who lives in Vegas pretty much half of the year. And me and him just started talking about stuff and he was saying, Oh, I heard there were shootings at Aria. And, uh, and I was telling him, okay, so what do you know about it right now? And, you know, we went over the whole, pretty much the, the narrative of what was, what was said happened. And then I was just thinking like, that doesn't make sense to me. How all of this stuff can go down and it's one guy and there's stuff going on everywhere else. And there's these videos and whatnot. So I just posted something on Facebook to say, I heard there were shootings at Aria in New York, New York, but we're not hearing about that. And it was a real simple post. And I was just wondering, you know, anybody hear anything else about it? But we're not hearing about it. So after that, I started getting flooded with uh, notifications, comments, messages, shares, all of that. And that's where it kind of let off. And, and Rick contacted me and told me his side of the story. And then I started making albums for all of that so people can see, like, firsthand accounts secondhand account and that's where the page started getting really popular or the the post yeah so i mean 
you made a Facebook post that went viral, and then those people saw your post and they started contacting you. And Rick was one of them. And uh, I just I think it's amazing how social media played into this whole Vegas incident. I mean, you have the mainstream media throwing a narrative at you, and then you have people on social media who were there saying something totally different. And you're yeah. ca- you're caught in this whirlwind where it's like. Who do you believe? Do you believe the, the media who's supposed to be in the know or do you believe the people who are claiming that were actually there? And uh, I think this was probably one of the first times I've ever really experienced a, a, an American tragedy that had such a difference, difference in uh, narrative between the mainstream media and what people were actually who were actually there saying that they saw. Uh, and so that's how you and I got connected. And then I talked to Rick and I talked to Jeff. And I want to let everybody know before we get into tonight's show, I brought Alika on as the uh, graphic design coordinator for the confessionals. It turns out Alika is a fantastic artist, and he told me that he'd be more than willing to work with the show. So now he is the graphic design coordinator. All the show art that you see for every episode is done by Alika. So congratulations alika on some exposure on your artwork i really appreciate you Thank helping you, man. us man it's it just means a lot yeah, to me i appreciate it i love it i love what you're doing so i just want to contribute and help in any way i can and it's fun it's fun because i already draw while i listen to your stuff so i come up with all these ideas like just hearing the imagery that is that's being described and i already draw it out so why not do it for the show yeah and it's 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 just so cool that you know I have you two guys on today, and we got connected through a tragedy, and since then we've been in connection with each other, and we were talking about doing stuff together, you know, before we came on here for the show, and it's just really cool how like circumstances that were so awful, there are still good that come out of it. Uh, and Rick, I want to bring you on now and bring you into the conversation. When we last talked. You shared what happened to you in Vegas, and we're not going to rehash that because if anybody wants to hear it, it's episode 38, Mandalay Bay, The Untold Stories, and uh, your story was very impactful. Since that interview, you've actually gotten your PhD, and uh, you've been looking into a lot of different things. Before we get into the different things and the details that you've been uncovering, I would like for you to correct the narrative that people were spewing about your friend Kimberly that died. Uh, thank you, Tony. Yeah, so um, many of the, the listeners might not know that uh, Kimberly Sukamel was a young lady. She was 28 years old. She died right about a week after the shooting. She died the, the Monday morning, so just over a week after the shooting. Uh, and, and Kimberly was one of the five people in my group. Uh, we, we knew each other for quite some time. In fact, Kimberly was uh, part of my church small group uh, that we hosted our house. Uh, and so we... Uh, my wife knew Kimberly for quite a while, and I was really getting to know Kimberly quite a bit. And uh, there's been a lot of speculation surrounding her death because of the fact that she was a young woman and, uh, you know, she was very outspoken about there being, uh, in her opinion, multiple shooters at the event, uh, very contrary to what the official narrative was. And so people um, started speculating that she was killed for that opinion and, and, and whatever that might be. So uh, what people don't know in general is that Kimberly uh, suffered from a, a couple of different uh, conditions that were neurological. Uh, one was epilepsy. And the other thing is that, is that she had a pituitary gland tumor. Um, and so 
it, it looked like from the outset that that Kimberly had had a uh, grand mal seizure and passed away as a result. And uh, the local coroner did an autopsy and that's what they confirmed as well. Um, so unfortunately, uh, she just had a condition and she had previously told me um, in a situation that was going on months before Vegas uh, that was stressful for her that she had to remove herself from stress because they caused her seizures. And so then Sunday night, which was the 8th, um, she told our group that she had had three seizures that day and she, that had never happened before. Um, and, and obviously that was scary. And then uh, on Monday, the 9th, early in the morning, sometime between 430 and 730, it looks like she had another seizure and passed away. So um, it doesn't look like it has anything to do with with anybody trying to shut her up or, or anything like that. And quite honestly, there's been quite a few other people who have been a lot more vocal in contrary to the the main uh, narrative that they put out there. Uh, Gio Rios comes to mind. Uh, you know, if they were trying to shut somebody up, uh, you'd think they'd go for people who who were really vocal about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was really frustrating for me because I did have a more personal connection to her because you told me the situation and. Everywhere I looked, there was articles popping up everywhere saying that she was knocked off. And every time I right. saw it, I, I, to I typed out this long comment telling people that it's not true. This is actually, you know, somebody who was on a friend of mine or a friend that was on the show. And I copied, I, I, I took that, that post and I actually took a screenshot of it. And I kept it on my phone. So every time I saw that article online, I would just leap, drop that picture in there for people to read. And uh, it was really frustrating for me because even Infowars picked it up and a lot of different places picked it up, you know, selling this narrative. And I really kind of got this inside look as to not just the mainstream media, but any media that has a narrative that they want to push, they manipulate stories to do so without actually doing the proper research. Uh, when I saw what they were doing with her, it just made me really upset. And it was just from uh, Infowars to this channel to that channel. They are all saying this thing. And, you know, Infowars is supposed to be this, you know, uh, news outlet that people go to that, to get the truth and, you know, the, the, the undercover stories that CNN won't tell you and Fox News won't tell yeah. you. And he does the same exact thing that they do only on the other side of the fence, you know. And so it really taught me that, that this whole experience, it really taught me that it doesn't matter who you think you enjoy listening to for your news. They all have their own narrative. And they all will tell you what they want to tell you to, to basically to sell. And so it really left me feeling not a lot of trust for any news media. And that's why ever since this, I've told people because like we were, we were, you know, the political stuff and all that stuff. And I tell people, I don't watch the news. And they're like, well, what do you go for your news? I'm like, I, I, I get the highlights and then I make my own decision. I make my own idea of what happened and stuff. And I do my own research. And people just don't, they don't get it. Like, why would you, why would you do your own research when the CNN and Fox News are telling you? Well, because what they're telling you isn't necessarily true. Right. They're it's, wrapping it up in their, in their, in their wrapping, their gift mm -hmm. wrapping to be like, yeah, we want you to see it this way. There's no good guys or bad guys. It's just all about attention. Yeah. It's the same beast with different masks. Exactly. And it. Um, it, it really shapes your thoughts. And that's something that I realized coming off of uh, the Las Vegas shooting. You know, we listened to news talk radio all the way home on a three hour drive. And uh, it took me a few days to separate 
what I had heard on the news versus what I had experienced, because it really um, you start to hear these things over and over again. You start to uh, it just becomes a truth in your mind, uh, even if it's not true. So, yeah, you have to be careful. You're absolutely right. And And I think I think we're as a general public starting to wake up to that idea. I really do. I mean, the more I talk to people, the more I just sense this distrust they have for the media in general. And uh, I don't play that sides game. I don't. I don't tell you. I, I plug into Fox. I don't plug into CNN. I don't play the whole liberal versus conservative, Democrat versus Republican. That I don't play that game. And so, if somebody's looking for me to pick a side, that I'm not your guy. That's not what. I, that's yeah. not what I do. Uh, I. Yeah, it's, it's left wing or right wing, but it's part of the same bird. If you lose the beak, then we all get eaten. Right. Like, that's just the way it is. <laughs> right. You know. It's, it's all. It's all about that, the ratings, right? So they're just going to tell you what you want to hear. They know their demographic and they want to divide people so that people end up being loyal to a certain side and they'll listen to anything you got to say. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. You know, like exactly now they can sell you stuff. Yeah, you know, it's it's basically this. I mean, we have North Korea going on and the whole big debate with nuclear war and all that stuff. And you're picking sides and we're all arguing at the end of the day, if it happens, we're all charcoal. We're all dead. Yeah. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter what your ideology is. You're not going to be immune to a nuclear war because you're a liberal or you're a conservative. And uh, I think as Americans, uh, as time goes on, we just need to start waking up to the fact that the news media doesn't have our best interests in mind. And there are a lot of different things. And Rick, I don't know if you've heard about this and we can start kind of diving into some of the things you've been uncovering. Uh, but I think it was in 2012 uh, it essentially, or was it 2016? Essentially, they passed a, a law basically saying that propaganda in America is now essentially legal to do for the news media. Uh, it, it, obviously, for a long time, it was an illegal thing to do uh, by law, but there was some kind of clause in a bill or something like that that allowed it to become a legal thing to do and just kind of gets swept under the carpet, you know, and oh, business as usual. Not really. Not really. <laughs> Right. I, I did hear something about that, Tony, kind of in periphery and the periphery when as I'm, you know, been looking into a lot of this other stuff. Uh, and my initial thought was uh, nothing's changing because that's what they've been doing for years. You know, <laughs> whether or not they've admitted it. I mean, the, the news really has been really bad for a number of years um, and it, it's very propagandized. And, uh, you know, and there's a lot of documentation to support it. Um, in fact, uh, what's the the movie that came out recently about the Washington Post and having the story on uh, Vietnam and and not being able to release? There's a there's a big Hollywood movie that just came out about it and how they were you know uh, fighting with with themselves and and the government on whether or not they could release that and it's gotten worse since then. So yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure what that movie is. Uh, I'm awful with movies, but I know that in the past couple of years, there's been several movies that have come out that kind of point to what you're talking about and stuff. And sometimes I wonder, you know, people talk about soft disclosure and things like that. Sometimes I wonder if Hollywood is in the pocket of somebody and they reveal certain truths to us through our movies, uh, because it's just odd how you have these eerie similarities over time with, you know, what you see in the movies and what's happening in real life. And sometimes it feels like the things that are happening in real life line up almost on the timeline, right around the same time this movie comes out. It's like, mm-hmm. that's kind of odd. And it happens more often than you'd like to see. Well, you know, 
those weird coincidences, I, obviously, uh, you, you start to get into that stuff and you start to think, man, this this really isn't coincidence. And I wasn't really going to bring this this portion up until a little bit later. But, um, you know, part of my investigation has really gotten into some of this uh, what they might call Illuminati. Um, and, and people, you know, kind of hear that term and they recoil and think, oh, here it comes again, like the conspiracy <laughs> theorists. That's actually what they call themselves. Okay. It's not somebody, nobody made that term up. That's what they call themselves. Right. Um, and uh, there was these Illuminati playing cards that came out in the 1990s. And uh, they, de- they depicted uh, the, the 2011 World Trade Center attack on one of the cards. Um, or the 2001, I'm sorry, the, the 9-11-2001 World Trade Center attack on one of the cards and the Pentagon attack on one of the cards. Um, and so it's like, you know, were they were they planning this all along? Um, I don't know. There's some as evidence that definitely suggests that um, there's there's been uh, a, there was about a 15 a year run where they're basically trying to convince uh, the people that that terrorists wanted to bring down the twin towers, you know, leading up to the the nine eleven attacks. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's literally when you look at the timeline, there's an, an underlying narrative that's being painted, and if you put on the right lenses, you'll see it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just uh, a lot of times. I really think people have a hard time getting out of this comfort zone that they've been raised in. Like for generations, we've been thought we've been taught to think a certain way and to know that there's certain truths about our country that are unshakable, you know, and it's just, it's preposterous to think that there'd be an underlying agenda. And when you change those lenses and you start looking deeper past the surface, you start uncovering things. And then when you have uh, intelligent people taking these puzzle pieces and putting them together, I mean, I'm not that guy. Like I'm not the guy that puts puzzle pieces together. I'm the guy that talks to people that does because I'm <laughs> I'm awful with puzzles. You're the guy with the biggest table that everybody can make the puzzle on. There you go. I provide. That's, that's you, man. I built the table. Like, I'm the carpenter. I built the table and I let the puzzle people people come and go. build the puzzle. So <laughs> yep. you know who else was there a carpenter? Go, Jesus. So you know. Yep. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. Oh my no. gosh. <laughs> Hopefully, I I survived this interview. <laughs> <laughs> so the lightning man Watch yeah <laughs> oh man so let's bring it back here rick you know when we were talking earlier and stuff uh you kind of went into some things that you wanted to kind of touch on and some of the things i had heard about and some of the things i had not heard about and so you'll have to definitely enlighten me so we'll talk we'll start with the first thing you mentioned to me something that i'm very unfamiliar with uh you talked about him hopping on a one-way ticket to phoenix or coming back from phoenix well how'd that whole thing work out Okay, yeah. So um, to to preface this kind of like portion, this little this little puzzle piece of the story, I'm sure many of the uh, listeners are familiar with with what we know as Operation Fast and Furious, which was the the gun running scheme to Mexican uh, drug cartel members uh, in an effort to track them and and apparently make arrests. And that was uh, conducted by the, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms out of their Phoenix, Arizona office. And uh, we know about other gun running operations conducted by the ATF. uh, And the common denominator has always been this Phoenix uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms location. And so there's been some speculation and and this stuff came out instantly, like uh, right away that that uh, 
Stephen Paddock was involved in some kind of a, a dr- uh, gun selling or gun running scheme uh, connected to the government. Well, um, one one YouTuber in particular has done a really good job investigating this whole story. And uh, he uncovered through uh, a source gave him a rental car receipt um, that was from from Stephen Paddock and and through a series of, of more investigation, what he uncovered was is that uh, a couple of weeks before this this uh, October 1st shooting, I think actually three weeks before uh, Stephen Paddock jumped on a one way flight from Las Vegas to Phoenix. He rented a van and he drove back to Las Vegas um, and. Uh, some interesting tidbits about that whole thing is when you when you turn a rental car back in uh, on the receipt, it shows how long you had the car and how many miles you put on the car. So he had the car about five more hours than it takes. It's about a five hour drive back to Las Vegas. He had the car about a total of 10 hours and he put on uh, approximately an extra 55 miles on the car than the trip actually takes. Um, so he was running around doing something. And uh, and the fact that he decided to take a one way flight and then rent a car and drive back um, suggests that he was transporting something he didn't want to fly with. Uh, And so uh, it it seems to be another piece of that puzzle that could suggest he really was um, in some sort of a gun selling, gun buying, gun selling scheme. And then something that came out with this recent preliminary report that that also lends to that. I don't know if you guys heard about this, is that um, there was these three emails that that Paddock sent between two email accounts that he owned. And it was like his main email account sent to another email account that he owned. And the first email um, said something to the effect of uh, we have a, a lot of a large selection of um, ARs in Las Vegas. You can come check it out. And then the email that received that account sends a reply back to his other email account. We also have a large selection of optics and ammunition to try. And then he replies one more time from the original email account for a good time. Try a bump stock with a hundred round magazine. And it's like he's selling guns to himself. So what's going on here? I think the most likely explanation is, is that somebody else had access to one of those two email accounts. And he's basically communicating with somebody without us being able to figure out who he's communicating with because it looks like he's talking to himself. Well, he's not talking to himself. Right. That's that's preposterous. Um, so it seems like this whole theory that he was somehow connected to some government agency or maybe not, maybe just straight up, you know, like Lord of Guns thinks he's Nicolas Cage. I don't know. Um, yeah. But selling guns in some way. Well, you know, he did work for Lockheed Martin. We know that uh, he was an accountant for them. And, you know, I've heard different interviews where they talked about you don't make millions of dollars even working for Lockheed Martin as an accountant. He had some kind of income coming in on the side to be that millionaire. And it turns out Lockheed Martin is the number one arms dealer Nation, and I think actually in the world, isn't it? So I, I believe you're correct. I mean, he has that tie to Lockheed Martin, and you just tied it in with Phoenix, you know, the possible gun running there and stuff. I mean, he very well could have been uh, working for some kind of alphabet agency uh, doing some kind of black operation with gun dealing. We, like you mentioned earlier about the Fast and the Furious, we know that happened. That literally did happen. It was covered on your precious mainstream media. Like, it happened. And so what makes you think that just because they got caught doing it one time, they're going to stop doing it? it, it that's, just, right. that's just silly. 
it's never been it's the case. Get better at hiding it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, I mean, you kind of start tying these dots, and it's like I feel like we're putting the puzzle together on the table, and you're starting to see the picture come together, but you're still saying, "Hey, where's the pieces for this part right here?" We see one eye. We need another eye, you know? And so I, I think that the puzzle pieces are starting to come together. Uh, and I also find it very disconcerting the way they lock down any information coming out from this investigation since like the second or third week into it. I mean, you don't hear a peep. The, this is the biggest massacre we've had and you don't hear a peep about it. And you start seeing like the weird things where they're in the interviews the what I can't remember his name the uh, the sheriff in Vegas Lombardo Joe Lombardo yes Lombardo you, when he started the interviews and talking to the media he was very assertive very confident of himself and you literally see on camera him start deteriorating with his uh, ambition to talk to the media and uh, I I can't remember the details but I believe I remember hearing something about uh, at one point. The, and somebody was standing behind him with the FBI telling him not to answer a certain question or something like that. I could be misremembering. Yeah, don't yeah, go, don't there. go uh-huh. there. Now, And yeah. that's, that's Aaron Rouse of the FBI standing behind him, by the way. Could you uh, enlighten us who that is? Uh, I can't remember his official um, title, but he is uh, like second or third in command, something like that. And uh, he's like, there's a connection to Tony Podesta or to... Yeah, is it Tony Podesta John or John Podesta? Podesta? John Podesta. Yeah. There's a connection to John Podesta. He's like his godson or something like that. Right. And we'll get into that, I'm sure, in a few minutes here. But we'll take a break right now. When we come back, we'll jump right back into it with Rick and Alika. Before you came watching this sheriff break down you start seeing that this is a man who one he is crumbling under pressure but two you wouldn't i'm sorry if you're the sheriff you're handling this situation it's awful i understand that but if you had the complete support and honest uh the honest support of the fbi behind you you would feel more confident like if you're if you're working this operation together and we're all working in one direction, which is to try to figure out what happened. And we want to enlighten the public on what happened so that this doesn't happen again. We're seeking truth. If that's really happening, I don't think that guy breaks down the way he broke down. 
but I really feel like he was uncovering information that he was not allowed to talk about. And they pretty much put a muzzle on him because it's like, you talk about this, you're done, dude, you're done. And he even said it so much in the interviews. I mean, at one point in the interviews, didn't he say that in his, to his recollection, there had to be multiple shooters because he doesn't see how one guy could have pulled this off. Um, yeah, yeah something. That's one of the things. He said. Uh, yeah, something to that effect. Basically, I mean, he gets to a point where he's like, come on, folks, do you really think one guy accomplished all this on his own? And he says this, you know, on live TV. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, his thoughts were were different than what they were portraying to, to the public. But one of the things is that. Um, has been frustrating is, is like you said, they they constantly paraded Joe Lombardo out there for about three weeks. And you could tell they were really controlling him. The the don't go there that was caught on the microphone, things like that. Um, right. But the other thing that that always irritated me about that is Las Vegas Metro Police Department was not in charge of the investigation. And how do we know that? Well, I'm connected with thousands of survivors of the shooting through support groups. And many of us had pieces of information, things that we saw that we wanted to report because we thought they were out of the norm. And uh, uh, anybody who ever called Las Vegas Metro Police Department to report something was directed straight to the FBI. Las Vegas Metro did not collect any information. So who's conducting the investigation? The, The FBI is. But yet they're parading Joe Lombardo out there. And then they're parading this preliminary report that came out last week with Las Vegas Metro's names all over it. Uh, but Las Vegas Metro is not conducting the investigation. So the FBI is disassociating themselves with it on purpose. Why do you think that is? What 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 would be their motive to parade Lombardo out there and not just take the reins. If they're actually covering this investigation, but they're not taking the reins publicly on it, uh, what would be the motivation behind that, do you think? Uh, maybe it's a, a trust thing. I don't know. Maybe maybe they feel like uh, the public uh, doesn't trust the FBI as much as they should. And, and that sounds kind of crazy to some people, and I understand that. Um, but what what's happened over this uh, period of about 15 to 20 years in the age of the internet is a lot of the things that the FBI has done wrong have come out and uh, people are starting to catch on to this. I don't know if you guys caught this, um, but not long after this, this massacre happened, Julian Assange t- tweeted something to the effect of uh, all nearly all terrorist attacks are um, basically orchestrated by the FBI. And then they come in uh, like the heroes trying to save, save the day. Um, basically saying shame on the FBI. Uh, And I don't know how everybody feels about Julian Assange, but one thing that's never happened is nothing he's posted has ever been proven to be untrue. Um, And so he obviously has a reason to believe that, and people um, are starting to catch on to that. And one of the things we know for sure that the FBI has done in in the sense of basically um, orchestrating terrorism or, or aiding it is the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. The bomb-making material was provided by the FBI to the terrorists in that attack. And they said they had planned to stop him before it happened, and they botched that in some way. Um, And the only reason we know that is because uh, a media outlet figured it out and had to ask the FBI directly. It's not like the FBI came out right after the bombing and said, oh, we screwed up. We provided these, this bomb-making material, and, and this is what happened. No, somebody figured out the information, and the FBI couldn't back their way out of it. Yeah, you know, I think, and I could be wrong with this, but from what I understand, they do that a lot. 
And I'm not sure it, it might be the very, very well might be what happened in 93, but uh, they find people who have a propensity to be willing to commit terrorist acts. They go undercover and they encourage it. They start providing the things to pursue that terrorist attack to catch that person with the willingness to carry it out and to stop them right before it happens so that they can, you know, say that they took down a terrorist. They, that they prove that he's willing to do it because the guy essentially pulled out a gun and wanted to shoot somebody, but they didn't have bullets kind of thing. You know, like that's what, that's the goal. They want to optically show that this person was going to kill lots of people, but they stopped it. And sometimes that gets botched. And yeah, so what better way to create a, a hero than to first create the villain, right? Make your own, make the problem first and then you come in and solve it. And that seems to be what, what they've been doing. And I think they're trying to uh, disconnect themselves from this so that they can put the cover-up accusations onto the Las Vegas Metro instead. Because they're, they're, trying to, they're just trying to stay in the back and orchestrate stuff while they have the, uh, the puppets in front. You know, they're putting on a show, right? That's what I think it is. Yeah. They're putting on a show. Well, what you said there, Alika, you know... Could it be that the world isn't as crazy as they're telling us it is? No, that can't be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Are they painting a narrative that isn't necessarily what the world is really made of? I don't know. Right. No. <laughs> well, and yeah. and they've done this before, Tony. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I looked into since this Las Vegas shooting, the uh, the Kennedy files, those Kennedy files got released. And uh, one of the things that, that actually we knew before those Kennedy files got released, but it got brought back into the spotlight because of that, is that this is how the FBI and the CIA have been operating for years. Back in the 60s, they had plotted to, to uh, blow up some targets in Miami, to, to blow up some rafts of, of Cuban refugees in order to start war with Cuba, in order to, um, to, to manufacture American support for a war with Cuba. And, and it's not the first time or last time they've done, they've done that. Well, that plan didn't go through because Kennedy wouldn't approve it. Um, Kennedy wouldn't sign off on it. But um, I don't know if you guys remember, but after the the 9-11 World Trade Center attacks, about the next week, we started having this issue with anthrax. You guys remember the anthrax Absolutely. scares? Yeah. Um, and so essentially what was happening is somebody was sending anthrax through the U.S. Postal Service to people. Um, and anthrax is a, is a deadly, uh, genetically uh, engineered, um, basically like a virus or some sort of uh, organism microorganism and it, and it comes in the form of a white powder and uh the initial narrative was oh uh this this anthrax is coming from iraq saddam hussein uh is, is sending this anthrax and, and anthrax is something we had provided to them during uh when they were when they were fighting the soviets uh and so the FBI started looking into this, and the original FBI team that looked into this determined that the anthrax did not come from Iraq. They determined that it came from a, an army uh, laboratory that the CIA was operating out of, uh, this secret army laboratory. And so the, one of the things that happened is that FBI team was pulled off the investigation, and it was given to a new FBI team. And then what they ended up doing is they ended up pinning it on this one scientist that was working out of that lab that maintained his innocence forever. Um, two of the senators who got sent anthrax said uh, they don't believe he was involved. The original FBI investigative team that got pulled off 
of the investigation said there's no way he was the person who did it. Um, but they pinned it on him. And then years later, he was found uh, a term I like to use is suicided. He had committed suicide is the official story. But right. Yeah, it's it's funny how all these different people get, quote unquote, suicided. Uh, and if anybody is wondering what that term really means, it's basically saying the narrative that he cre- that the narrative is that he committed suicide, but really he was probably murdered. So, uh, right. I I totally I totally agree with you, man, because I think that happens far more than what we uh, know. And I have this is a side note, and I I'm not sure if I can actually tell this story. Um, I'll tell it anyways, and if if I have to take it out, I'll take it out. Uh, so I have, I went to school with a guy when I was in Bible college. I went to uh, a Bible college and I was up one, na- one late one night talking to one of the guys on my floor. And him and I were just getting, kind of getting to know each other. We didn't know each other real well, but we were both really into basketball. And uh, he started spilling the beans one night with me about some of the things that his dad uh, dealt with, with the Clintons. And I just don't know if I can talk about this now that I'm thinking about it. I just, I, I don't know if I want to go down that road. I'll tell don't you any I'll, names. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to, I, until I have the green light, I can't tell the story. I'll tell you guys about it off air. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, you got me. Started. I was, I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah, no. Yeah. Know. Well, you got, you guys will get to hear it once we we're done with this. To <laughs> <laughs> right. so everybody else. I'm sorry. I can't until I have the, Let's put it this way. This guy, I have reached out to him since I started the show, and he told me that he's talked to his father, and I might be able to actually interview his dad, but I have to go on scene because his dad lives out in basically the mountains of nowhere where he has no inter- internet connection. He's off the grid. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's some things there. But <laughs> let's just carry on. Be an interesting show, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, if it happens. So <laughs> I'll fly out for that interview, Tony. Yeah, it, yeah. It, I believe it's Kentucky. I'm not sure where he's at though. But anyways, um Rick, let's get back on track with you and your research. You know, you talked about the whole Phoenix gun running possible possible scenario. Uh, but let's get into the child pornography as well. Uh it's been in the news that his brother Bruce was caught with child porn on his hard drive. However, I don't think it was covered very much the connection that Stephen Paddock had with child pornography as well and how that could be possibly played into what happened uh, in Vegas. Right. So it's interesting you bring that up next because um, the the child porn link and those those uh, the speculation surrounding that really kind of connects to uh, it, it really connects Paddock to the FBI. And here's why. Um, one of the things that wasn't covered much is that, yeah, in fact, Paddock, one of his devices did have about 300 images of child pornography on it. Uh, I know everybody heard about the missing hard drive and that sort of thing, but and they, they didn't hear about that. But one of his devices was found with child pornography. And uh, in in looking through that and, and watching some other people's investigations, another thing that came up about that is that the paddocks own two pieces of property um, right next to a place called the Bohemian Grove. And uh, Tony, do you know what the Bohemian Grove is? Have you yeah, heard about that? Right out, it's right outside of San Francisco. Uh, right. it's, it's a um, an elite society of people. <laughs> 
Right. So it's really connected to um, occult practices, the Illuminati. Uh, we talked about InfoWars previously, but Alex Jones actually infiltrated it and got a little bit of video out of there from one of their right. ceremonies at one point. Um, and but essentially uh, the Bohemian Grove has been speculated of, of being um, wrapped up in child abuse, uh, child trafficking, uh, sexual abuse, things like that. There's a, a, a guy that's named Paul Bonacci. And Paul, uh, in the 90s, uh, was, a, was a child abductee who was used uh, in – I don't know if you guys remember. Larry King was a, a congressman or a senator in Nebraska. He was used in, in a lot of his child trafficking uh, rings. What they would do is they used Paul as a lure in Boys Town there in Nebraska yes. to abduct other children. Um, but Paul has given testimony about the Bohemian Grove. Uh, and it's it's graphic and it's brutal and it's um, it really is sickening. Uh, it, I don't want to go into too much detail on your podcast, honey. I don't know if you really would want to do that or you not. You actually can because I actually have um, more details I could add to. I can play off okay. what you have to say. Okay. So um, according to Paul, at one point when he was at the Bohemian Grove during one of their two-week retreats uh, – he was in a basically some sort of a like a, a cage or a cell with another boy. And uh, two or I think it was three men came up and one of them was filming. Uh, and this is called like a snuff film, basically what they were doing. And, and they uh, they raped the other boy. Uh, they sodomized him brutally until he was bleeding. And then they put a gun to his head and murdered him and then threatened Paul that if he didn't sodomize the corpse, they were going to murder him, too. And Paul's testimony has been verified uh, through polygraphs uh, more than once. And uh, there's been other people who have made it out of this world who have given similar um, testimony about the Bohemian Grove and the things that go on there. So the paddocks own two pieces of property, one just under a mile, one just over two miles from the Bohemian Grove. Um, so it, it seems to play into this child porn thing as well. Yeah. And the fact that that Stephen had all this money that we really don't know where it came from. You're absolutely right. And, you know, Bohemian Grove is an elite group of people. Uh, you have presidents with an S on the end of it that were members of the Bohemian Grove uh, that have been to the meetings there. And this is a meeting that a lot of ritualistic things happen Uh People talk about the whole satanic aspect of things. You know, I am going to be trying to get a guy on the show who is an ex-satanic priest, and he is now Christian, and he he talks about his experiences at Bohemian Grove. He was there, brought in to do, I think it was rituals and things like that, and uh, he recalls seeing President Reagan there and uh, different presidents and throughout our past. And so wow. the Bohemian Grove has a lot of elite characters involved in it and there's a lot of deep bullcrap that happens there when you talk about child pornography child sex slavery that i i personally believe this isn't you know your opinions and guys here this is my personal belief when you're talking about the child pornography and the the child sex slavery and things like that tied in with bohemian grove i think that has a direct link to uh the satanic rituals that get put on uh, i think it all kind of ties together here and these people they put a lot of value and weight into their beliefs, just like I do. I mean, I'm a Christian, and I proclaim it proudly, and I can talk to you about these things, what I believe as a Christian. These people believe in their belief systems just as strongly, 
And so they carry out certain acts according to their belief systems without any consciousness about it. And so when it comes to the whole sex slavery and things like that, like it's real. The child pornography is real. And I think it has a deeper, darker, sinister thing going on underneath the surface outside of just, oh, these are guys that are just sick. Like they're, they're, there's reasons why they yeah. do it. And, uh, you know, I live 45 minutes west of Philadelphia. About 20 minutes from my house is a place called King of Prussia. It's probably it, it's actually the biggest retail mall in the country. Uh, they, for some reason, they don't consider Amer- um, the Mall of America the biggest because it has other things other than retail. But King, but King of Prussia is you know the, the biggest, and they actually have a real child abduction problem in King of Prussia with sex slavery. Uh, Rick, what do you got to say about that? Oh uh, yeah, um, sorry, I was waving to my wife, but I do. Oh okay, um, I'm sorry. It, <laughs> no, it it is. You're you're exactly right, Tony. It is linked to this occultism. Um, there's actually been a leaked manual that has has come out of what they're supposed to do in some of these rituals and talks about, you know, this, this pornography or this, this child abuse. It talks about um, infant sacrifice, um, crazy things like that. But it's funny how you bring up the belief systems because this, this occultism, this occult belief actually can be traced back all the way back to the times of Moses. So when Moses was up on Mount Sinai uh, and receiving the 10 commandments and he came down and the Israelites with Aaron were, were worshiping the golden calf. That golden calf is essentially, um, Baal. Uh, and that's where it comes from. Originally, it comes from that, that, um, that false God, the false God of Baal. And it's believed it's tied to, um, like crops, like, like prosperity in that way it's tied to power and things like that. And there's, it's also tied back into Egypt and, um, uh, another God that we know as Moloch. Um, and so it's depicted as like a, a human with like a, a, a bull or a goat head. And uh, one of the things that you you might notice if you, you're paying attention is people give this signal and it almost looks like the I love you sign. And it's like this um, or horns. sometimes with the thumb out with the fingers extended more like that. Um, and that is actually a sign of, of that of of, of Mullick. Um, and so yeah. if you pay attention to this, you might see a lot of, of very prominent people giving that sign. Um, there's a, one picture that I can think of, of of President Obama clearly doing not not I love you, clearly doing yes. this. Um, and and so it's it's really tied up into the, these really elite areas of, of society. Yeah. And you know what? There's plenty of pictures out there. All you have to do is Google it. Uh, just Google presidents with goat horn symbols or something like that. And what you will see is President Bush uh, doing this, the symbols. You'll see Obama doing these symbols. Uh, and you'll see all these, not even just presidents, but just run down the list. You see the, the actors, the, the, the music, the TV stars, all these people are doing the same thing with these symbols. And you talked about Baal. You know, it, it, this stuff is deep-rooted. And anybody who thinks that faith has nothing to do with it, you're, you're just wrong because these people know their history and they know what they believe. And it does as much as my faith in Christianity stems all the way back to the old Testament and all that stuff, their faith, their belief system stem back just as far. And you brought up Baal. You know, an interesting thing is when uh, the Jews were fleeing Egypt underneath, they had the permission to flee, but then Pharaoh changed his mind. He took off after them. When they got to the Red Sea, and everybody knows the story of the Red Sea, uh, Moses, through God, you know, part of the Red Sea. What you miss there is that God actually instructs the Jews to hold up and to camp out 
uh, before they, they did that whole splitting the sea and actually allowed the Egyptians to catch up. Where they, where they camped at was Mount Sinai. I believe it was Mount Sinai. Uh, I could be butchering that. But bottom line is, in Egypt, they were worshiping Baal at that time. And where they camped out at was a prominent place where they worshiped Baal at. Like, like that's where Baal was. And what you see here is a supernatural smackdown. Uh, there's a guy, his name's Derek Gilbert. He really goes into deep... Uh, length as to the details of what happened here that he could talk about more than I could. So look him up on YouTube. His name's Derek Gilbert, uh, Skywatch TV. And he talks about this, how it wasn't just God protecting the Jews by, you know, making the walls of the water fall down on Israel, on the Egyptians. It was a supernatural smackdown, God versus God. It was, God, it was Jehovah versus Baal. He, Jehovah wanted to show that he was the ultimate God. And therefore, when, um, I guess when the sea split, uh, Baal, one of the things Baal's known as is the God of the ocean, God of the sea. And when they split the water, the Egyptians more than likely were thinking, look, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. And so they pursue and when the walls come crashing down over them, it was like God putting, you know, a caption, I am the one and true God. And so I say all that because that's just one story that I butchered clearly. I, 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 there's so much more detail to it than what I can give you. But that's just one tiny story out of the Old Testament that I as a Christian hold on to and I believe in. And these very same people believe in their history just as much, and they carry it out today, just like I carry out my faith today. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, yeah. And, and plus, you got to think that these people who are doing all of these all of these acts, they got to have a, a much deeper motivation behind just, uh, oh yeah, I want to be rich, and I guess I got to do what everybody else is doing. Like it's it's deeper than that. If you and, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. If you think that money is the source of all this you're mistaken. There's a deeper, darker, sinister plot here than people just try being driven by greed of money. Uh, there, right. there, there's power at play here. There's uh, spiritual, supernatural uh, power at play and aspects to this. And uh, I, I'm a firm believer in those kind of things. Like I really do believe there is a, a, an unseen realm around us. And the Bible talks about the, this war that gets uh, waged between good and evil. And, and I believe that to be true. And if I'm the person that believes that the one side is, a good si- is the good side, the side that I side with, there are people out there that side with the other side as well. And they take it just as serious as I do. And so uh, we, I know we're getting a little off track here. Let's kind of bring it back and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I'll bring it back here for you, Tony. Um, so what does this have to do with this link to the FBI, right? So what does this child porn and, and the fact that the paddocks own this property right there by Bohemian Grove have to do with it? Well, uh, we talked about earlier some things are, are just too uh, – it, it, they're just too – um, unlikely to be coincidence, right? So just after this event goes down, then they suddenly arrest Bruce Paddock on child porn charges. Uh, well, what what do I think was really going on? What do I think is, is a more likely explanation to that? I think that uh, Paddock, who was a previous government contractor who had security clearance and things like that, um, got caught with child porn or maybe um, directly abusing a child by the FBI and was, and was um, given an ultimatum. 
you work for us, you do this, um, whether it would be gun running or whatever it was, and and we won't uh, prosecute you. We won't put you in jail for these child porn charges. Uh, and, and I believe part of that deal was also, and we'll leave your brother Bruce alone as well. Because what are the, what are the actual chances that uh, they had this investigation on Bruce going on and then uh, they they suddenly had enough evidence a week or two after Paddock commits the the worst mass murder in in modern American history, or mass shooting in modern American history. Um, I think it's pretty slim. I think it's more uh, it's more likely that uh, Paddock was in some way working for Stephen Paddock was in some way working for the FBI, and then once uh, that relationship ended, whether <laughs> we don't know exactly what happened. Uh, that's when they decided to pick up Bruce. Yeah, I agree with you. So let's just take a break right now, and we'll be right back. Don't you think that it's boring how people talk? Making smart with the words again. Well, I'm bored. Cause I'm doing this for the thrill of it Killing it, never not chasing a million Things I want Things I am only as young as the minute is Full of it, getting pumped up on the little right Things I want But I don't feel never comes to the whole child pornography the child slavery and things like that uh even pedophilia like that's a drum that i beat hard very hard like sometimes i come across questionable material uh somebody promoting pedophilia or something like that and if you guys are friends with me on facebook you probably saw me blast people for that stuff like i i make i make long posts about it because that that's the drum that i beat a lot like i i it just it, it it sickens me, and to the fact for the fact that um, now they're trying to get pedophilia to be looked at in the same category as the LGBTQ community as a preference. Yes, right? as a preference. Oh my God. And and yeah. if I was part of that community, it would piss me off that these these people are trying to come in and and pervert what our community is all about. And uh, I have a friend that is gay online, and he's very vocal. Whenever I post uh, anything about it, it pisses him off that this is going on. And so this stuff is very real. It's a, it's a problem. And I think that the uh, whole pedophilia aspect of this uh, plays a role in what we saw happen here. Uh, we mentioned earlier that um, – I forget the FBI agent's name that we mentioned earlier in the news conference – Aaron Rouse. Rouse, that's right. And how he's related to uh, Podesta, John Podesta. Now, if anybody has ever heard about Pizzagate, uh, that is something that was going on, I believe it was during the election year, during the election season, 
And basically, there was these uh, emails that were uncovered through Wiki- WikiLeaks that was possibly tying John Podesta, Tony Podesta, and I think even possibly the Clintons to a pizza shop that was rumored to be a place where pedophilia was going on. There's videos that surfaced online of the of some of the quote unquote bands that they bring in for entertainment and what they were talking about. Like there's, you could look it up there. The, this video, it talks about the guy in the video is saying that, you know, we all prefer little boys and things like that. Like it, it, it's a real video. Uh, and then there's other videos out there that are questionable where uh, people say that the, 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 what you, the person's voice that you hear in the video is John Podesta abusing a child. Uh, obviously, that's questionable because you don't see John Podesta, but they do do the vocal analysis. It does sound like John Podesta, but there is no way to prove it. Um, but then you have the John Podesta tie to the Vegas and then this whole the, the child pornography, you know, more than likely there's there's a, a child sex slavery ring going on here as well that ha- either has been uncovered and we haven't been told about it or hasn't been uncovered. Uh, but it's a it's a problem. It's a real problem. And, uh, you well, know, we also spent a lot of time in the Philippines, too. And Philippines and Thailand are hotbeds for picking up uh, sex slaves, child sex slaves. That's where his girlfriend was from. Yeah. And when before this happened, he gave his girlfriend, uh, what was it, like a couple hundred thousand dollars to go and build a house in the Philippines and, and live there with her family and stuff like that. But he was going back and forth so much. If he was involved in you know, child trafficking, too easy, too easy. Yeah. And I, I didn't think it was that odd until you guys, you know, and then until we start finding out about the child porn stuff. And then you, you're kind of like, oh, OK, well, that's kind of weird. You know, like you're spending a lot of time and money up there, and you just happen to be in a in a child porn. Like, yeah, you can make mm-hmm. a little connection there. I mean, of course, I don't know why if, if that's why he's in Philippines, but that's a that's a a question in my head. Yeah, and and a word that's thrown thrown around a lot, and I understand that there is a lot of speculation. You know, we we're speculating on things. We're we're trying to, but what we're doing is what. The media is not doing like we're spending time right now having a conversation about the things that Rick has uncovered and some details. And we're talking about it. The media is not talking right. about it. The media is zip their lips. It's history. They're talking about Russiagate. They're talking about all these other things. They talk. They're, they're, they're talking about how fat the president is. They're not talking about the people who died in Vegas. They're not talking about what happened there. They're not talking about the sex slavery. They're not talking about all these details. That are, Rick, if you uncovered this stuff, people in the media either have or could have. And they're just too lazy to. That's exactly right. But see, the thing is, is we're talking about when we're bringing in all these little pieces of information, this is a gigantic puzzle, Tony. Uh, There's so much here that has to be pieced together for us to really uncover um, what's actually going on. But you see the the media, they got given this little uh, one year old four piece, uh, you know, wooden puzzle. Here's your story. And they they just said, "Okay, thank you very much. May I have another, you know, and and that's how they they operate. So so many of them, you know, and and that's how the FBI and and even Las Vegas Metro, I'm sure, to some extent wants them to operate. I'm sure you guys know who Laura Loomer is. She's the one who uncovered the fact that Paddock actually had checked in like four days before they were saying he checked into the Mandalay Bay. And after she asked that question that forced them to change the timeline initially in the press conference, she was banned from future press conferences. They don't want media that asks tough questions to be a part of any of this. They just want a complicit media to say thank you very much and to repeat what they've been told. You know, journalism is dead. And there's a guy that uh, was on – 
I think he was on the Blaze Radio Network with with Glenn Beck. His name's uh, Jay Severin, and he calls journalism Jehornalism because they're whoring themselves out to the to the man. And so, <laughs> uh, but that, I mean, really, it's true. It's become uh, the news news media any any kind of news sources. It's become a, an arm of the entertainment industry to me, entertainment and advertisement, and it's it's like they're just they're trying to make. The news is the ultimate reality show, in my opinion. Like, just watching all of that stuff. Uh, because they, they have these stories. They want you to see it. They'll edit it in a certain way, depending on what side of the of uh, beliefs you fall in or political preference you fall in or whatever. If you're left side, they're going to just cater to that, and that's the show you're going to watch. And You know, like, we all know this, but I don't feel like a lot of people see the the gravity of that that your source of news and what you choose to fill your mind with every day is meant to manipulate you into being divided and thinking things that aren't true or are being twisted around. Like that's a serious thing. That's a big deal. And this is just another example of it. Like, like you said, Laura Loomer is not allowed to go in and have any, ask any real questions anymore. And it's, it's uh that's appalling to me. That's a bigger issue. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, it is a problem and we're just kind of, we're bouncing all over tonight and I understand that. So hopefully the audience is okay with that, but if this is more of a conversational episode we're doing, uh, obviously this isn't like a uh, paranormal encounter, uh, but sometimes the right, confessionals right. will be going into more conspiratorial and this is what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the underlying issues here that nobody else wants to talk about. And, uh, journalism is one thing, you know, sex trafficking is another thing and th- these things are all tied together because the the mainstream media isn't covering it if they were doing their job none of the, a lot of this stuff would be nipped in the bud because they wouldn't be allowed to get away with it but the the media has been just wrapped around the big brother's uh finger for far too long uh i'm a lot of people know i'm a big proponent of george orwell's book and uh 1984 and I actually try to make it a point every first Monday of every month I listen to that book on audio because I just it just it just pushes my mind in that direction because every time I listen to it I see what's going on around us and I'm like this guy uh, he wasn't a prophet but man he was close he was close yeah so um, Rick you know earlier we were talking about you mentioned about the helicopters uh, what what have you found about the whole idea of these helicopters on the scene. So that's uh, that's one of the things that I really wish people, um, specifically the media, were asking more questions about. So um, to to break a really long, complicated issue down into a, a few minutes, essentially um, what has happened is 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 there's there's a few platforms where you can track movement of aircraft, um, and like Flight Radar Twenty Four is the one that I've been using, and uh, three helicopters that are uh, owned by a, a local touring business. Uh, just before the shooting started, about 10 minutes before the shooting started, we're um, looping around the city like a normal tour. But every tour, um, actually, they have an approved tour path in Las Vegas. And that includes they break, uh, they break east over the strip or more, more like southeast back over the strip um, towards the airport over the New York, New York Hotel, like right in that area. But these three helicopters kept coming south on that, uh, on that west side of the strip. And got behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel 
and then their transponder data is shut off or they're below the roof line so it's not hitting the tower. But for whatever reason, we, we don't see transponder data from those helicopters uh, for the duration of the shooting. Now, um, well, almost the duration. The shooting started at about 10.05. I believe it was about 10 minutes. About 10.11, uh, seven helicopters take off from this same uh, tour helicopter launch pad area like they're doing uh, a tour. Now, this is during the shooting. These seven helicopters take off like they're doing a tour of the city. Um, and this is, you know, when air traffic control at the time is saying that there's shooters on the ground at the airport. Things like that are coming through the radio waves. Right. So needless to say, it's weird that these helicopters were taking off in the first place. But seven take off like they're doing a tour. And uh, two of those seven that take off um, are are the the tail numbers of the two of the three original helicopters that went dark behind Mandalay Bay. So these seven helicopters take off and then the last of the three tail numbers um, shows up in formation with them after they're like passed over the Tropicana. It's not seen taking off with the other group, with the group, but it, the transponder data comes back on as it's in a line with them like they're doing a tour. And then they make this loop around the city like normal tours do, but instead of breaking southeast over the New York, New York, they instead head way out to, to the west around Mandalay Bay, presumably because of what was going on, and they come back around and they land at base, except for that one helicopter that never landed back, that wasn't seen taking back off. Instead of coming back to base, this helicopter goes two miles west and lands next to a, a business in an empty field two miles down the road. Um, so it's just very curious. What was this helicopter doing? Why did it not land back at at the airport with the group that it was with? Why did why was it necessary for this helicopter to go west and land in an empty field away from people who would probably be looking at it, right? Because all eyes right. were focused on the strip and on the airport and that general area. Yeah, and you know, it's like... Those, all the helicopters go back to where they're supposed to be, except for that one. And there's there's really no logical reason. If the other helicopters could get back to where they're supposed to be, why didn't this guy? You know, and what was he doing? Now, have you seen that video online of the supposed helicopter sh shooting down on the people at the concert? What are your thoughts on that? I've seen, I've seen them. They're um, it's really hard to say exactly what's going on from that helicopter, um, but I can say this for sure. Uh, there's definitely helicopters in the air, um, in airspace where none are shown on the flight data trackers. Um, why? And that's what we're trying to find out. What were they doing? Right. Now, when, you're, when you were there, I mean, let's not forget, you were actually there. You couldn't really gauge where the firing was coming from, from a particular location, right? So, like, if there was a helicopter that was shooting down, it's mm -hmm. not like you would have been able to tell that in the moment, right? <laughs> No, not in the moment. General direction, you could gauge. Um, it was really hard to tell exactly how far away things were um, unless, you know, there were some shots that sounded like, God, that was right there. You know what I mean? Um, and they, they just had a different um, sense of intensity. Like the, the they were just sharper, way more intense. But sound dies off, you know, pretty quickly. And so as they get further away, it's really hard to tell how far away it is. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, there were helicopters in the air. We noticed helicopters in the air that aren't on the flight data when we were there. Um, my wife has always maintained she felt like uh, helicopters were were shooting. Um, but it's it's just e extremely hard to say for sure. You know, you could tell when bullets were near us that were coming from an elevated position, you could tell because they hit the ground. 
but uh, when uh, Tony, in our last interview, I talked about hearing these these sharp um, shots coming from my right as we were exiting the venue. And they it's I mean, it was super intense. It was like right there. And and nothing was hitting the ground around you, you know, um, so it, it just seemed like bullets were whizzing by at that point, but not hitting the ground. So it's like you you have these sensual perceptions uh, in the moment that go uh, that you don't necessarily um, think about the way we're thinking about them today because we didn't know what the narrative was going to be. We weren't thinking about those things at the time. But l- looking back on them, you go, well, well, what about this? Like that does not make sense at all, you know. Yeah. Uh, and there's been other narratives that I've seen, you know, put out on YouTube and stuff. Now, I understand you can't believe everything that you see on YouTube and things like that. And I, I certainly don't. But I do utilize YouTube to get a more broad perspective of other people's opinions. And there was a video out there that suggested that there was a shooter on top of the overpass of the driveway next to the Mandalay Bay that had somebody shooting down off there and they went through and this this guy did a really good uh breakdown of it because and i wish i could find the video i since have tried looking for it i couldn't find it it's not because i I doubt it's been taken down i just i just can't remember what it was but he did a really good job of breaking this down according to the cab driver and how she saw the uh firing and how she heard it and how he, he just the way he broke it down and then he showed the escape path that this uh, shooter could have taken it would have been a lot very easy for this guy to go from the overhang that he was at across the roof hop up a wall to a parking garage and where he would have a, a car yeah, that video. to escape yeah. and it just it made a lot of sense i think a common uh conclusion that many people come to many many people who are actually pursuing thinking about this outside the box that has been given to us have come to the conclusion that there really had to have been at least another shooter, at least one shooter extra than what they're telling us. Uh, I personally believe that there was a lot of things going on in that town that night, uh, and we're probably never going to have the full story. Uh, but the fact that we, when we had Jeff on after you, Rick, Rick you know, he's in the Bellagio, yeah. which is two miles away from where you were, and he's getting gunshots inside. Like there's, there was something going on in that city that wasn't just focused at the the Harvest Fest, but was a carried, a strategically carried out thing throughout the entire city. In my mind, it's what it looks like. Now it could be random, maybe it's a bunch of guys running around just shooting, but there was something going on in that city that uh, they're covering up for whatever reason. Um, yeah, and. Uh- Tony, you, you know, you talk about the Bellagio, and that's confirmed by other witnesses that have been very vocal in public about it by video from some of these other witnesses of security guards confirming that something was going on there. And that's why they were locked down. Um, so it's not just like Jeff saying, oh, this happened. There's a lot of people there that that are saying this this happened. And then, you know, to, to add um, to that as well, the the Bellagio has a. Um, a web connected camera that publishes an image every 15 minutes, every day, 24 hours a day and puts it online. And the images from, uh, I believe it's from 11 to midnight or 1115 to 1215, about an hour worth of images. So four images, um, got scrubbed. They're gone. They're not there when you look for them. And, and what happened was too, when they did that, whoever did it either made a mistake or they were trying to cover their tracks. They deleted those four images from every single day on that camera. So it's like, they just never existed. Oops. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, when you ha- when you're covering your tracks up so much, you're bound to make mistakes. And it, it takes people just to be looking for those mistakes to uh, start putting the puzzle pieces together. Uh, now, Rick, you mentioned something about, and I can't remember the details at all, but you mentioned something about a door issue. That's the note I made. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because you were talking about escape paths, right? Okay. So um, this is an issue that we've been talking about since uh, for sure, like November 1st, Lombardo was on live TV um, giving an interview and he said that they breached um, the door to 32135, which was the main suite that Paddock was in, uh, and they found him dead. But then they encountered a locked door um, to 32134, which he had both rooms. Um, that's why when you see in the pictures of the two windows broken, the one that's way out on the end um, is like the view suite. That's that's 135. And the one that is in more on the, like that arm of the building is 134. And, he, and Lombardo said that they had to breach that door because it was deadbolted from the other side and they couldn't get through it. So they had to breach that door. So immediately we start talking about, well, who locked the door? How did that door get locked? Right. Well, and then we got some more information from this preliminary report, and it gives information about when uh, when doors are open and when the deadbolts are locked and unlocked. The Mandalay Bay has a monitoring system that tells them that timestamps all of these actions for each door that has keycard access. So uh, the the door to the outside hallway for thirty two one thirty five was locked at approximately nine thirty or so. Um, I can't remember the exact time. And then the door to uh, 32134 was locked about 10 minutes later at 940 before the shooting started. Okay, so if you lock the door to uh, 135, you can't get out that door, okay? If you lock the door to 134 and it's not reopened, you can't get out that door. So in order for the door to from between 135 and 134 to become locked from the 134 side – Somebody had to be in 134 to do that. But Paddock was found dead in 135 with that door locked. So somebody had to have locked the door and left the building. There's no other explanation for it. Um, and they, they purposefully leave out um, in the preliminary report and there's speculation surrounding this. What happens in 32134? If that door got locked, if the deadbolt got locked, because you can only lock them from the inside, if that deadbolt got locked at nine at nine forty, when did it get reopened? When was it reopened? Because in order for there not to be anybody in that room and for that door to have been locked from the one thirty four side, somebody had to have exited that door in one thirty four. And the other thing that we know is is that they say Paddock had shot at those fuel tanks at the airport, and based on the trajectory and the pictures of those shots, they had to have come from one thirty four. So. Um, the speculation is, is that they, you know, they've been they've been trying to keep some of these warrants and things sealed and they're convening a grand jury. Well, the only reason you convene a grand jury is to um, find out if they agree that you have enough evidence to indict somebody. So the speculation is, is they left that part out because they don't want us to know who they're looking into. Well, that would make sense to me. That's that's I mean, when yeah. you break it down like that, I mean. What other conclusion could you come to other than. There was multiple shooters. At least, I gotta say, man, you did awesome, awesome research. Oh my goodness, that's that's all great stuff. 
Like, and I, I'm not the only person. No, and that's fine. And I'm not the only person to look into this and cover this up. I'm leaning a lot on, you know, little pieces of information people are putting out on YouTube. I'm really following one channel that I think the guy does an excellent job. And I can tell you who that is off air if you want to know. Well, why don't you give it to um, us now so everybody else and, can hear too? Oh, okay, perfect. So uh, his name is Jake Morphonios. Um, and his channel is now called Blackstone Intelligence. It used to be called End Times News Report. Um, but he puts out a video almost every day, um, and he's done an excellent job um, following up. He's been to Las Vegas um, at least twice, uh, and, he, and he's from like North or South Carolina. Um, so he's been out to Las Vegas at least twice, interviewed witnesses, tracked down leads. Um, he's doing excellent work. So that's one of the channels I try not to miss a video from. But I'm, you know, picking little things here and there too, and, and that helps me put together some of this information too. So it's not all me. Um, but it really helps to, to, to pull stuff everybody's looking at together and try to put it into one picture. Like, what does this look like? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I know you started, did you start a website that you started uh, putting research on or something like that? I know I saw you post something. I wasn't sure if it was your website or somebody else's. Yeah, we have a, a research, a couple of secret research groups on Facebook that I've, um, I'm a moderator of of the groups and we try to put together information and when some of this new stuff comes out and, you know, tackle it and see what we find and things like that. Excuse me. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've been a part of a, a few different teams just looking into this stuff and, and we're just, uh, trying to pull together as much information as we can and, and hopefully put together a, a big enough picture to where we can, uh, you know, force them to give us, uh, at least what is more of the real story than what we've been getting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're talking about all the details with the doors and, you know, people have to understand that one, this is Vegas. Okay. This is Vegas. Lots of technology. This isn't your super eight motel. You know what I mean? Like, like they track everything. Yeah. It, it just seems to me like there's a lot of things going on, like even with the camera systems and stuff. I mean, like the, there's cameras everywhere. Right. What 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 video, what picture have you seen of Paddock that night? We don't see it. it, it it's not there. And it, it's just like a few weeks, or was it a few weeks? It was probably like a month or two later, we had the terrorist attack in New York, right? Immediately. On, on Halloween. Halloween. That's right. It, exactly. It was a yeah. month later. So mm -hmm. immediately we knew who it was. We had video of it and all this other stuff. And I'm not saying that's impossible. I'm saying that's very possible. But what I'm saying is what's more impossible is the fact that we don't have, you know, we're months after the shooting in Vegas and we don't have any video of, Pad of Paddock doing anything going in and out of his room, things yeah. like that. In right. Vegas. In Vegas. Like the biggest massacre ever in U.S. history. In Las Vegas. There's no, there's no video of that. None of that. He was allowed to use the freight elevator, apparently. Right. Like, what? <laughs> Absolutely. I agree with you, Lika, 100%. So let's just take a break right now. And when we come back, we'll get right back into things. I've been on my own. Try to, try to, try to find my way home. My way home. A familiar home. I never, never, never seem to let go. Find my way home, my way 
When this thing first happened, Alika, this is before I ever talked to you, Rick, obviously before I talked to you, the next day I'm in my truck and I came across a YouTube video that uploaded the, um, what do you call it? It's not the CB, I'm thinking trucker terms, the the, um, the police scanner. So I, I just drove yeah. my truck listening to the police scan of that night. And, you know, a lot of it's confusing and a lot of it's hard to hear, but I do remember at one point they were on the stairs in the hotel and they were communicating that they had not breached the room yet, but, uh, they're there. I think they were in the staircase, like a floor below or on the floor waiting for orders or something like that. But the, I remember distinctly hearing somebody respond that they haven't heard shooting for 15 minutes. What in the world are you waiting for 15 minutes? If you don't like you're first of all, you're a SWAT team. You're supposed to be going in there. But second of all, like, what? Why are you waiting? What? What? Who's who's making the call to yeah. make sure that you don't go in until they're ready for you? You know, what I mean, it, it, to me, right there, I started thinking that sounds staged. That sounds staged. I, I mean, fifteen minutes yeah. of waiting time. It, it it is. It sounds completely ridiculous. When and when you think about it, you know, the the longer they sit there and wait, yeah, sure, he's not doing any damage to the crowd if you're not hearing him shoot. But what is he doing to prepare for you? Right. Yeah. I mean, for all they yeah. know, he could they could have blown the door off and he could have blown that whole freaking wing off the right. hotel. They don't it, bringing all those guns in there to, you know, imagine the other imagine the amount of explosives and things like that. He could have brought in there in that sort of a package. You know what I mean? So um, they're just sitting there. They're waiting and and giving him time to to do God knows what they or, don't know if that's the real story. Right. Or escape. I mean, like if you're if you're in hot yeah. pursuit of uh-huh. somebody who's killing people left and right you're, and you're going to wait after 15 minutes after the last shot you've heard fired to try capturing the guy. That's 15 minutes that he uh, plus when, when the narrative was changed and they said, hey, like Hess's compost was shot six minutes before and all of that stuff. Do you guys know what the latest stuff on the narrative is? Rick, do you know what the I, latest? I, uh, I believe that's. Is? Yeah, I believe that's still the official story that Campos was shot before he opened fire on the crowd, um, which is even more mind boggling because Campos was shot five to ten minutes beforehand. Um, and so then it took him basically 25 minutes between then and when Paddock stopped shooting and, and nothing right, was right. done. Yeah. And the initial story was that, Oh, uh, his compo was actually, when he went to go investigate, he stopped the shooting. And then now it's like, Oh no, he actually got shot. He got shot six minutes before the shooting. Mm-hmm. And it's such a flip in the narrative. And that was always weird to me is how long it took them to actually get into the room. So, I mean, whatever narrative they want to use it's going to take you that long you know where the shooting's coming from you know exactly how to get in there you have people who work there to help you get into that thing lock down the hallways whatever and it's going to take you that long to get in there now i'm not a police uh i'm not a law enforcement uh specialist i don't know too much about how swat works and whatnot but that doesn't seem right to me you know like that's that was really weird. That one detail that you guys are talking about was really weird to me from the from the get go. Yeah, for sure. And um, you know, it, it just speaks to the fact that 
that we we've been uh, fed a story that's not the the truth um, from the get go. It's it's been they've had to change it because people have uncovered some some things. But uh, do you think if they come out with this story that is is clearly untrue from the beginning and then they're forced to change it that they're they're just automatically going to tell you the truth then? Uh, th- I think the chances are pretty slim, you know, the, and and I don't know what the reason is, but I know that because of this, you know, my research has led me to, you know, all kinds of government cover up type stuff. You know, I've been looking at the the Kennedy assassination. Um, we talked about the whole um, that the CIA plot in, in Miami to, to manufacture war with Cuba um, and even into uh, extraterrestrial stuff. You know, if you really want to look into extraterrestrial stuff and you want to hear from people who are very credible on the subject, look at um, like Navy pilots and stuff in their experiences. There's been a lot of stuff there. Yeah. That's actually, that's actually one of the things that, that I love to get into and I've been into for a long time is the extraterrestrial stuff. So like, uh, just seeing how the mountains of evidence and people who will come forward, like high-ranking military officials that have come forward and say, I've seen this, I, I was a pilot, or, or whatever. Like, this stuff has happened, and then people still have the nerve to say, like, ah, oh, these probably just old, these retired, he doesn't know what he's talking about, his memory's gone. You know, like, what? There's, there's right. all these people out there, there's right. mountains and mountains of evidence to say this stuff is happening. But the, why don't they just land on the, the White House lawn then? Oh, yeah, because it's that easy. That's well, exact, yeah. And and that that specific question, that's assuming you know what their motives are. What are their motives right. if they're if they're coming and, and visiting um, and visiting us? So one of the things that I pieces of evidence that I found the most compelling, and I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but it it goes to to crop circles, and and crop circles are um, the ones that are obviously not faked, um, are incredible. They're symmetric. They're I mean they look flawless, but this one is very interesting. So in 1974, we sent a radio signal message out into space, blasted out into space, and the the message had um, it was basically a rectangle, and from bottom to top, it had a picture or like a depiction of the NASA radio antenna we sent it with. It had our location of Earth in the solar system. It had a picture of the human figure. It had our DNA code. And then it had the core principles of math and science depicted as like a binary type picture. And then 27 years later in 2001, there was this crop circle that appears to be an answer to that message. And it has a picture of a microwave instead of a radio antenna. It has, a, you know, um, their location in an con- entirely different solar system. It has um, a, a, a figure of their what they're supposed to look like. It has a different non-human DNA code. And uh, their principles, their core principles of math and science were the same. Wow. So I've never heard um, that. And that so it's an amazing crop circle. It, it's just like uh, I saw that and I was like, how can you not like really question this at this point? Holy cow. See, when I deal with so many different topics, I don't catch everything. And, you know, I, I'm just in the, the infancy of my uh, podcasting career and things like that. So I, I've never heard that. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And, you know, I want to let people know, Rick, you're a PhD and you weren't always into this kind of thing. It it was literally the shooting in Vegas that propelled you into this kind of research that you've uncovered other details and stuff. And that speaks a lot. Like, at least for me, it does, because I'm, I'm the guy that 
when I was a kid, I would borrow, you know, Bigfoot books from the library. I would borrow Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> and, and so I was into this stuff. Like I, I, I always loved fantasizing about the possibilities of something like this being out there. And now as an adult, I still dive into these things clearly. Uh, but you, you kind of took a different path. It, it took a tragedy in your life and for, in your pursuit, pursuit of truth to uncover other things that you're like, wow, maybe there are some, there is some credibility to other, you know, conspiracy theories or these, these ideas of extraterrestrials and things like that. And, you know, Rick, you're a professor. I know you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. And with the, um, the background that we have with Bible colleges and stuff, I know that, uh, one of the things that people talk about is the idea that how their faith could be shook or if, aliens were real, you know, and, and it's a, it's a real issue in the sense that I think if the day of disclosure comes, I think you're going to see a lot of Christians, uh, going crazy when it comes to their faith. And for, for me, it's not going to have anything to do with my faith because my faith is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ came to earth, died on the cross for man I don't really, I have, I don't really have a hard time distinguishing me as a man to somebody who's from another planet who might be man-like, but not man. Like, like I look at, um, you know, chimps and, and gorillas and things, they're, they're, they're man-like, but they're not man, you know? And so for me, and maybe it's just my simplistic trucker way of thinking, I don't know, but for me, it's not going to shake me at all. Like, like the idea of aliens, if they're real, like, it's still, I know what I believe, you know, so it's not going to shake me, but I really believe that there's going to be Christians out there. that are going to be like, yo, time to jump off the bridge, man. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. There's actually been disclosure. Um, uh, Stephen Greer, uh, he did a disclosure project. I believe that's his first name, Dr. Greer, but he did a disclosure project where he got all these high ranking officials to actually give testimony. Um, in a formal way of all the stuff that they've seen. And then recently I've got to get more information on it. One of my other friends told me about it, but there was a, basically a, a, a hard disclosure that there's a, there was a bunch of money missing from the military budget. And it was in fact spent on um, the research into unidentified aerial phenomena. So crap basically mm-hmm. is talking about UFOs and, um, so there's, there's been two disclosures already, but there's nothing of it on the news or anything like that, right? Because, you know, you don't want to shake everybody's belief. But there's already disclosure there, man. There's there's enough people saying this has happened, this is real, aliens are real. Hell yeah. Um, I think he was the the Minister of Defense for, for uh, Canada. And he has been spearheading the disclosure, uh, this disclosure movement. And even he said, like, there's like 20 something different species that we interact with. And there's all this stuff, like based on everything he said, he's uh, researched and found out. So it's, it's out there already. The information is out there. And, and when you when you think about this, um, first of all, you know, we go back to disclosure. Uh, you know, we we can go back to 1948 Roswell and we can look at the newspaper and the newspaper straight up said an unidentified craft. 
uh, referring to what seemed to be an alien craft crashed in the desert. And then the next day it was all scrubbed. It was like, okay, so somebody got to the media and told them, stop talking about this, you know, or whatever. So we know like that sort of thing is, has been going on for a, a long time. But I, I get back to that, that whole, like, why don't they land on the white house lawn? Well, what is their motive, right? What is, if, if aliens are visiting earth, what is their motive? And, um, and when I think about it, if, if first of all, if they're visiting Earth, uh, and we obviously know they're not part of our solar system, um, they have figured out a way to harness energy that we don't understand yet, right? Because they're traveling light years um, and are able to come and visit this planet. Uh, and so they're able to harness energy in a way that we don't understand yet. And, and then you look at things like um, there's something called the Taurus, and then the, the um, vector equilibrium, and when and this is a a, a physical or a, like a physics discovery of the 1900s of energy and how um, how it, it it forms around things and how like nuclei operate and uh, and things like that. And uh, when they when they draw this mathematically 3D and then flatten it out, it it becomes this image. And I can send you a picture of the image, um, Tony. Uh, and, and we, we can see it in a two day, 2d representation. And then we can look at that 2d representation of this 1900s physics discovery and find it on cave walls from thousands of years ago, all over the earth, all over the earth in ancient China in ancient Egypt, um, in in the Aztecs all over the earth, we see this, this depiction of this, in this pattern that was discovered in the 1900s by super smart physicists. So where did that come from? So if aliens have this energy that they're able to harness um, and travel to earth that we don't understand yet, and we've seen pictures of this, this um, crazy physics discovery of energy dating back thousands of years, maybe that's what they're trying to do. Maybe they're trying to tell us, Hey, look, if you harness energy in this way, you might have very efficient or unlimited energy that you can use and, and it's a very powerful and, and those sorts of things. And, uh, and then kind of looping around to the faith side of it, Tony, you know, um, it, for, for a brief moment when I, when I started getting into this and I started really kind of matching that up with my faith, it was like, dude, what does this mean? But then when I think about the Bible, you know, it, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. And it doesn't talk about the heavens in that sense as far as what else is out there as far as any other life forms or in any other way, really. And so does that preclude my Christian beliefs in any way? No, it doesn't. And, and, you know, maybe God did create these other life forms and and they have become more advanced than us for whatever reason. Uh, And then I think about it, you know, if if you're not a believer, if you're not a, a Christian in any way, think about it in this way. Earth is however billion years old, right? And it took this long for us to develop life and uh, and and become to the, the the level of technology that we're at today, right? Um, and we know that just in our solar system, uh, scientists say that there's at least ten thousand Earth-like planets in our solar system. Or not our solar system, in our galaxy. I'm sorry, yeah. in our galaxy, there's at least ten thousand other Earth-like planets. So if just one of those planets was formed let's say just a million years before earth and followed a similar path of evolution that we have followed. Um, if this is your belief, then that human like race, that intelligent life form is a million years advanced in technology from what we are today. Yeah. That's significant. Absolutely. I I love the way you just broke that down, man. You know, when, when you look at the Bible and things like that, uh, 
you know, as Christians, we we look at the Bible as a factual historical book. What it talks about, it happened, right? But what I think Christians tend to do is they fall into the trap of looking at the Bible as the history book and all-inclusive. There's a lot of things that I think happened throughout the history of man that isn't said in the Bible, but it still happened. Just like what you did yesterday, Rick, in California and Alika in Hawaii and me in Pennsylvania, we did things yesterday that's not recorded in the Bible, but that's still part of history. You know, Vegas happened, Mm -hmm. but it's not in the Bible. It's still part of history, you know? And so when it comes to, you know, uh, this aspect of things and the way you brought it up with the, the heavens and the earth, like maybe that's God saying in one verse, Hey, this is here, you know, but this isn't your concern. Like it doesn't, it, it, it's not, it, what we're here for is something totally different. So, but I'm telling you it's there, but it's not good. Just like the ne- the idea of the Nephilim, Rick, I don't know how much you've looked into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have a lot. And the, the Nephilim Genesis chapter six, verse four, it talks about it. And it's, but if you look into the Bible more, you start seeing how these different tribes were made of Nephilim DNA. But the whole idea is this. You have a brief mentioning of the Nephilim in the Bible. That doesn't mean that the, the Nephilim existed for that one verse. They existed a lot more than that. They, they were a real issue here. Okay, they, they were a problem. And there's a whole history there that the Bible hints at, but we don't get a whole lot of detail about. We know they were there, but we don't really know a whole lot unless you look into extra canonical books, you know, like the Book of Enoch mm-hmm. and things like that. Like, and I, I do think that looking into things through the Book of Enoch or Jasher or things like that, I think it, it holds um, some value because these are books that the writers of the Bible did read themselves. There's a reason why the book of Enoch actually is quoted in the Bible, because the writers actually read these things. They weren't stupid. They, they, ha- they were taught the history. And I just think that when it comes to some of these things, especially back then, I think there might have been, a not, like with the Nephilim, for say, uh, I think that there might have been an understanding in their time that the Nephilim, what the Nephilim were and who they were. But maybe it didn't make it into the Bible, because why would you say something that everybody knows already? You know what I mean? Like, like it's like, why would I go into great detail, chapter on chapter on chapter, talking about what the Nephilim are, how they got here, what they're doing, when everybody knows it already? You know, like they didn't know they were writing the Bible when they yeah. wrote the Bible, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if you wrote a book and you just uh, decided to spend an, a whole chapter on the way the clouds look and explaining how clouds are formed, you know, that's just right. part of the fact. You know, you're, you're not going to, you're just going to describe the scene, oh, the clouds are billowy, and then go into a whole chapter about yeah, there's this whole precipitation, condensation, and evaporation, and all that stuff yeah. that makes the clouds. That wouldn't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. Then everybody knows that's what it is. There's so many, um, and I know we're getting on faith here and stuff, but that's you know that's my realm. That's my realm. And so there's there's just so many supernatural aspects of life that I think Christians today have a hard time dealing with because I think especially in America we have really uh, over the you know, decades of time here, at least decades, uh, extracted the supernatural aspect of belief out of our belief system of, with the Bible. Uh, we we, we want to try we want to try normalizing the scriptures so that it's digestible for everybody. And to, to a certain extent, I think there's merit to that. But I I think that when we try normalizing God, like we take away His supernatural aspect, and we live in a supernatural world, and there's crazy things that have happened throughout our history. 
And so when it comes to the aliens and the Nephilim and things like that, like, you know, as a Christian, like, I feel like we need to keep an open mind about that because like the book that I read, the book that I read has a man walking on water. You know, the book that I read has a sea that parted that fire falling from heaven. Like, it, like a man walking through walls, a hand appearing and writing on walls in front of a group of people like that. These are supernatural things that happened within the Bible, but we don't talk about it. And we want to make sure that everything's normal for everybody. So everybody can kind of just feel good. And I, I just, I'm not made like that, you know? So uh, I, I went to a, a, a Bigfoot conference, uh, I think it was last year. And one of the guys, it was just after I started the show. And one of the people asked me, he said, how do you relate what you do with your show and the Bigfoot stuff and everything with your faith? And for me, it goes hand in hand. It just does. When people say paranormal, a lot of times I think supernatural. I, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in a supernatural God. I believe that we live in a supernatural world and crazy things happen around us. And so when people tell me I saw a ghost, I don't doubt that. You know, just like in, in the Bible, the disciples, they saw Jesus walking on water and they said, look, it's a ghost. Now, if ghosts weren't real, you would think the Bible would have corrected it. To, to assure that us as readers, thousands of years later, know that ghosts aren't real, even though the stupid disciples said ghosts, don't worry, it's not real. But it doesn't say that. And we have King Saul summoning the dead spirit of Samuel. For all intents and purposes, he talked to Samuel through, through summoning the spirit of Samuel through a, a witch, a, a medium. Why would the Bible in Leviticus and Deuteronomy say, don't practice necromancy, don't practice summon, summoning the spirits, if it's impossible? I use that example all the time. Like, God's not going to tell me to go down to Center City, Philadelphia, pick up a skyscraper with my bare hands and throw it into the Atlantic Ocean. He's not going to tell me to do, not do that. Why? Because it's not possible. Yeah. So why would God tell us not to summon spirits if it wasn't possible? It is possible. He doesn't want us doing it, though. And so, like, like that, yeah. I, I just went on a big rampage. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're talking about Vegas. Oh, no. But... <laughs> but <laughs> No, I mean, totally it's just, um, I, I guess I just got on a high horse there. Uh, but no, Rick, I, I really think it's really cool that, you know, all this research that you've been doing kind of pointed you in these different directions and stuff. And as a Christian, I guess I just got excited hearing that another Christian kind of opened his mind up a little bit to, to thinking about it at least a little bit. Um, it, it's just, yeah, I have, I have something to say about that. Go for it, man. Like, uh, I think, I think that uh, belief systems, any anything pretty much that you subscribe to and, you know, whatever faith, it, the simplistic version is kind of, it kind of works like a car, right? So the world's a big thing. So the simplistic version works like a car where it's a great vehicle to get you on the highway, get you from point A to point B through life, and you understand, you know, gives you guidance and, and all of that, and uh, helps you understand life a little bit better and, and travel down the path, but... If you really want to know about the world, you got to get out of that car and explore the world on your own. You can't go up a mountain in a car. You've got to hike that, you know? you got to hike it. So that's where I think making the, the system too simple, like you were saying how you want to normalize or make it very simple so that everybody can, can feel good about it, that that will rob you of uh, the entire experience of all the things that have been created according to whatever faith you you believe in, you know? Sure. So that's, that's why I think they do that. 
because it, it makes it easier to pack everybody into this car. But if you really want to know the world, you've got to explore. You've got to go hiking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's just it's an interesting adventure that we're on in life. And I, I you, you have different categories of people that kind of uh, show up in life. And, and a lot of it is this. Either you feel comfortable with where you're at and you're good there. You don't really want to explore any other alternatives and, and other truths or anything like that uh, for fear of, you know, being shown that what you were taught or believe is wrong. And I think that that's the problem because just because uh, you're driving a BMW doesn't mean that uh, a Honda is the wrong car. You know what I mean? Uh, they're both cars, you know? And so yeah, yeah. I, it, I, I have no problem stepping outside and saying, okay, this is what I believe. And I just had a, I just had a video chat with uh, some of my patrons and I told them because they asked me this question and I, I told them like I, I – my foundational belief in Christianity and my faith in Christianity and Jesus Christ, that is forever the same. That will never change. There's nothing that you can say to me that's going to change my mind on that. I'm, I'm like, like, all right. So 99.9999%, you know what I mean? Like you'd really have to prove it yeah, to me, yeah. you know, but I'm not afraid to step outside the box and look at other things and say, okay, does this aspect apply to life. You know, and people are saying they're experiencing these things and I'm just, I'm, I'm the kind of person, I'm not afraid to look at what they're experiencing and take it, you know, like people are really seeing these things. They're really experiencing these things, you know, it doesn't need to affect yeah. your faith, you know? So, um, I, I know we're just kind of rambling on here. Uh, do you guys have anything that you'd like to kind of close on at all? I, I don't know, Tony, if uh, you were paying much attention to the camera, but my wife came in because I just received my like actual wow. degree. And so I, <laughs> oh, congratulations. Yeah. I, I did see so, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's what I was doing on camera. Right. Um, but no, I uh, I agree with, with what you guys are saying. I think, um, you know, ultimately. Uh, we have to we have to find a way to live this human experience with a lot of people that we don't necessarily um, share belief or faith systems with or or whatever that might be. Um, but but we we have to find a way to to do that uh, respectfully with each other. Um, you know, whatever went on in Vegas, uh, it, whether it was Paddock alone or it was this big orchestrated event and it's tied to the government and the occult or whatever, it really stems from not placing something else over the value of lives that aren't your own. Um, and, and really that's, that's pretty crappy. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that other than like you, you don't have, you don't see enough value in somebody else's life um, that you're not willing to extinguish that to accomplish whatever goal it is that you're, you're trying to accomplish. And whether that's uh, to, to uh, a religious goal or a, um, a financial goal or a goal of power, um, whatever that is, it's, it's, um, ultimately comes down to the same thing. That's it's sickening. And it, and it's not, um, it's not a value system that, uh, the, the world should welcome in any way and governments in, in, in any way. So, um, you know, I, I hope that ultimately, uh, this this investigation and the fact that information just spreads so much faster today than it did 30 years ago that people will start seeing these little things and start putting these puzzle pieces together like i've been trying to do with las vegas and understanding like there's things that are going on that we need to find a way to put a stop to 
Um, and, and, you know, that that could be this the child pornography and, and trafficking of, of kids and abuse, pedophilia, um, occult, other occult practices, sacrifices, um, things like that, um, or just straight power plays or, um, you know, religions that really aren't aren't religions that are political or or ways to um, give you an excuse to to kill somebody or to um, to enslave them. So I think ultimately I, that's my hope in in doing this research and 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 sort of spreading these messages is that um, we as a people, as Americans and as as uh, Westerners and then as as citizens of this earth, will start to wake up to that. That's some great uh, great advice, great words, man. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you this in the beginning, but I forgot to. So, you know, this is a question that probably should be in, in the beginning, not to close the show. But uh, how has recovery gone for you and your family since this event happened in Vegas? Um, for So for me, um, I, I think I've been doing pretty well. I, I um, obviously... My, the way I spend my time has changed slightly um, because I've, I've put a lot of time looking into this kind of thing and investigating and things like that. But um, as far as like my my overall, you know, mental and emotional health, I think I've done really well. I don't I don't seem to have a lot of triggers or anything like that. And and part of that was probably attributed to the, the way I dealt with the situation when it happened. I was very much focused um, on getting my group out of there because I knew that if I didn't lead them out of there, nobody was going to lead them out of there. Um, and so, uh, that was my focus. So I was very much focused on finding a path out and looking for any threats that might stand in the way of that path. Um, and because that was my focus, I think that helped me, um, in dealing with the things that, that went on that night. Now, um, my wife has had a harder time, um, and partially because she takes in things differently than I do and took in things that night, um, that I just simply uh, either didn't see or completely blocked out. I don't know for sure. Um, but, um, so she, and she's just a more, um, she's a higher anxiety individual, um, more emotional than I am in, in situations like that anyway. So she's had a harder time, but she's, um, she's getting there. She's doing, uh, fairly well. Um, we're both go- still going to, to talk to like a, a counselor about it. Um, I mostly talk about like my research and, and the things that I'm doing, um, because I first started doing, something called EDMR, um, which is like an app, uh, a rapid eye movement technique that's supposed to help with traumas. And I realized it wasn't really doing anything for me. So then when I explained kind of my own feelings to uh, the therapist, she said, yeah, you're not really a good candidate based on how you've processed the event because you're not emotionally triggered and that sort of thing. So my, but my wife is still doing uh, EMDR and, um, and, and she's doing, she's doing well. We're doing okay. Um, You know, our kids didn't go back to preschool until the new year. Um, she kept him home with them because she just didn't want to be away from him and that sort of thing. But overall, um, I, I, uh, you know, considering what we went through, I think that we're doing well. That's great, man. That's really good. Awesome. awesome That's glad to hear. to hear. Absolutely. And, um, well guys, listen from coast to coast, to Pacific ocean where you're at a leak. <laughs> I mean, since we've been talking, <laughs> I, I see I'm, I got dark here. It's dark outside, but you guys still got daylight. And, uh, you know, because we got yep. Pennsylvania to California to Hawaii here tonight. And uh, I really appreciate you guys coming on and just sharing and discussing. And I think the audience is going to really just enjoy hearing this conversation we had. Hopefully they do. And uh, Alika, before we get out of here, how can people get a hold of you and kind of check out your artwork and uh, if they want to, you know, work with you at all? Uh, so you can check me out on Facebook, um, Alika 
Fon Naihe. I'm pretty sure everybody kind of knows uh, how to spell. Do you have me on your? Yeah, on they, your can, Facebook? they can you find tag you. Yeah. Me on your stuff. They can find you, you online. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's me on Facebook, and then at um, Instagram, it's Haoli H A U O L I underscore Art underscore Alika. All right. So yeah, just check me out on Instagram and Facebook, and if you like stuff, just send me a, a personal message. Yeah, I, now everybody, listen. His artwork is top top notch. I mean, it's Alika. It's amazing, man. So uh, I'm I'm just proud that you're working with the confessionals and helping us and stuff. Uh, it, it's just it's been awesome. So thank you guys very much for being here. Uh, take care, and you know we'll have to do this again sometime. This was really fun. Thanks, yeah, Tony. Great. Okay, well, that's the main interview, everybody. Now, before we get out of here, though, we have another piece to play for you because since we recorded that first part, Rick contacted me and told me that he had extra information that he had just come across that he'd like to share. So I told him we should record it and get it on the show for you guys to listen to. So here is me and Rick talking about some of the new findings he had found about Vegas. So what exactly happened here? Like, how'd you find this? Did you come across this with your own research or what? No, this is something that that came across YouTube and and some of this uh, like the ears portion of this that I'm going to talk about were things that that we had been looking at and, and brought up previously just by you know examining pictures and things like that. But what happened, Tony, is when Las Vegas Metro released their preliminary report, they have a section on the coroner's report on the suspect, Stephen Paddock. And in that report, the coroner has a couple of things listed that actually do not match up with Paddock. So I don't know who originally um, obtained these fishing licenses that Paddock applied for and filled out, but now they're on the internet. So they're out there. So Paddock applied for two, two separate fishing licenses, one in 2009 and one in 2010. And he filled it out, his personal information, and included in there is his height and his eye color. Uh, and so Paddock lifts his height as six foot four inches and his eye color is blue both years. And we know that his eye color is blue because we can see it in previous photos. Uh, we don't know for sure his his height. I've been tr- looking to try to find any reference to his actual driver license or something like that, but I haven't been able to find it. But anyway, so we have that uh, record of Paddock applying for a fishing license, and the but the Paddock or the coroner lists his height at six foot one inches and his eye color as brown, which obviously doesn't match those uh, those fishing licenses. Now, eye color is particularly interesting because. We can see that his eye color is blue, and this isn't something that just changes. Uh, there are some phenomena where your uh, eyes can change color uh, due to trauma. Generally, the the big thing that comes to mind is if you're strangled, uh, your eyeball can fill up with blood. Uh, but that would have been something the pathologist would recognize and would note, right. and they didn't note that. Uh, so his – uh, so his, we have these two pieces of information that don't match. And, and my first thought is, okay, well, people sometimes fudge their height. Yeah, but three inches. 
I mean, the difference between six foot one and six foot four is is pretty big. You yeah. can tell just by looking at somebody whether or not they're you know closer to six foot one or closer to six foot four. That's when you get into that six foot four range, you're getting to be a pretty tall dude. Um, so and. Then the other thing that we noticed is that uh, Paddock has attached earlobes. You can look up previous pictures of Paddock and you can see uh, his his earlobes connect directly to, you know, the side of his face, his neck right there. They don't they're not what we call hanging earlobes where they kind of curve up and you have this part hanging down. And that's also um, similar to blue eyes. That's a DNA trait. Uh, and so we can see, however, in the in the picture of what's supposed to be paddock dead in the hotel room, the graphic one where you, you know, you can see his face and there's blood everywhere. Anyway, you can see that uh, on both sides, his, the earlobes of that body are not attached earlobes. So now these are three major discrepancies of things that we know physically about paddock uh, that don't match up. Uh, one of them from the picture and two of them from the coroner's report. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of evidence now pointing uh, to suggest that that body that was in the hotel room isn't even Stephen Paddock. And that just blew me away. Let me ask you, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, do you think that Paddock is still alive? Do you think, I mean, this whole, all these indiscrepancies, what does it lead to? I mean, what what are your some of your thoughts? I mean, obviously, I'm not asking you to make a conclusive opinion on something, but like, what is, what's your vibe here? I mean, when you see these discrepancies, uh, do you think that Paddock was even there? I mean, what's what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I mean, when when we look at that question, Tony, there's like a lot of puzzle pieces to fit around it, and it's like, gosh, oh, how would that fit? And when I think about it, I, you know, okay, so let's let's assume that these discrepancies, these three major discrepancies, are are correct. Uh, I mean, we can see them, uh, so they definitely appear to be correct. There doesn't seem to be a, a good explanation for it. Um, so then we, then I, I'll, I'll take that next step and I'll operate under the assumption that that body definitely isn't Paddock and therefore Paddock is still alive. Um, you know, we, I think we talk about earlier in this episode, that video where it, it you know, uh, this Paddock lookalike, this guy that definitely looks like Paddock is, is five days later playing poker in, uh, Atlantic city. So, Okay. So let, let's assume that Paddock is still alive and basically got given a new identity like a witness protection program would, would do. Um, that means that he likely agreed with the FBI that he was – he or CIA or whoever ran this operation that he was uh, going to get a new identity, which meant they were going to pick up his brother, uh, his brother Bruce on the child porn charges. Uh, because that was just part of the deal as he was operating with them. They wouldn't do that. But uh, if if the public presumes him to be dead, then they couldn't continue to protect Bruce uh, because that would be a problem. So, uh, you know, th there's just there's just a lot of ways to consider that piece of information and how would it fit in the, the total puzzle? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, uh, but the evidence really seems to point me that way right now. Like, you know, we to, to kind of rewind and, and go back over things. We were pretty sure uh, Paddock was running guns of some type. We, we have that ATF connection uh, in Phoenix. Possibly we have uh, the weird emails back and forth. 
now we know this guy, uh, you know, and, and we didn't know this the other day, but that name released Douglas Haig since we recorded last, Tony, the guy that was the person of interest that apparently yesterday got indicted for selling armor-piercing bullets to Paddock. But this Douglas Haig guy was also connected to the military-industrial complex, and I think uh, it looks like to me it's like another scapegoat, another – piece of low-hanging fruit they're throwing under the bus here because they're getting a lot of pressure about their story. So, you know, I, I, I wish I had all the answers at this point, but, you know, this is kind of new information and we're just going to have to continue to explore it. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Uh, this is going to be a long process. It's going to be drawn out. And, uh, I, I just find it, I mean, like you're an intelligent guy and your drive to look for this information and find out the truth of to what happened. I'm not sure if everybody would have that drive after experiencing what you've experienced. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would just be wanting to just accept the narrative. Okay, that's what happened. Let me try to move on in my life and just forget about this whole thing. And uh, you kind of just dove into it more and you keep digging and uncovering things and stuff like that and and you're putting pieces together and I, I really appreciate that from a consumer standpoint as somebody who uh, is sitting back and watching you do it because it, it really helps me kind of put things into focus and stuff do you ever uh, feel like you know because we, we kind of talked about it earlier in the show about how you know the conspiratorial things and all that stuff do you think that uh, you could kind of push the wrong button at some point and be dealing with people coming back at you um, I, yeah, yeah, I guess it's possible. Uh, these intelligence agencies, uh, they definitely don't want, uh, the stuff that they're doing being uncovered. They don't want us to understand how they operate. They operate in secrecy like this for a reason. So yeah, it's possible, Tony. That being said, there's a lot of people on this investigation that are producing a lot of information that are, you know, putting out videos on YouTube every day. And, uh, you know, I think may drawing a lot more attention to these issues than I am personally, I'm putting information together, uh, almost more for me at this point, you know, um, but hoping that we can, uh, get such a clear picture of this puzzle at some point that we can, that we can really produce something that, that gets people, understanding what's going on and and puts m way more pressure on the way these intelligence agencies the the alphabet agencies in our country operate so yeah i i mean i i think it's possible that i could push the wrong button and and have somebody you know want to suicide me but um i i hope not but at the same time i i really i really feel like this is an opportunity uh, to maybe change some of what's going on in, in this realm. It makes sense. I understand your, your drive for it, and I understand where you're coming from. Uh, you know, and there are, I guess, you know, bigger fish to fry, you know, especially if you're not out there every day doing this. Um, I, I just, when you think, when you sit back and you look at all this stuff and you, and you think about everything that you, that you do and that, you know, even me posting the show and things like that, you just kind of wonder, you know, if it draws the wrong attention, what, what could be the result? So, um, but I'm kind of in the same boat with you as far as like, just, you know, bottom line is 
uh, I want the truth, you know, I, I just want the truth. And so we can, you know, move past it and figure out what happened, what went wrong, and we can correct our mistakes. And uh, it's not going to happen until you get the truth. And uh, they, they could say that we have the truth as much as they want. It, it's clear, the more the time goes on, they're not giving us everything. They're just not. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that might make the argument like we we shouldn't have the whole truth. Like we're better off not knowing everything. Uh, and c- quite frankly, I disagree, because when you really look at um, these types of operations and and the history of this type of thing that has gone on in our country, look at really, really look critically at at the Kennedy assassination and the things that Kennedy stood for and was against and the people involved in that that day that were there. I, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but uh, George H.W. Bush uh, was working for the CIA and is actually pictured there in Dallas that day. But officially, he says he wasn't working for the CIA uh, for like five or six years and, you know, until five or six years later. Right. So, um you know, we, we look at this kind of stuff and and understand that these agencies are are shaping history by uh, by conducting these really shady other undercover operations um, so that they can get uh, their man in there or they can push policy uh, either in the United States or through the United Nations or whatever that might be. Uh and, and accomplish these goals that are kind of in their playbook. Um, so I, I think that it's really important for us to, to wake up to this stuff. The only way to beat these people is to have, you know, almost everybody on our side. They have a lot of power. They have a lot of money. Uh, they control a lot of powerful organizations and things like that. But the one thing we have on them is millions upon millions upon millions of people if we can just organize together. That's very well said. Very well very well said. And I, I completely agree with you. Uh, we do have the numbers on our side. George Bush, uh, I think there's even a document that has his name linked to the CIA during that time frame. And he there said... Is. He's like, oh, it must have been another George Bush. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, at some point you got to be like, dude, really? Come on. I mean, it's a, it's probably a, a fairly common name. Uh, you know, George is very common, especially for that time period. And and Bush isn't the most uncommon last name I've ever heard. But there's a picture of him there on the steps the, the day of, you know, and uh, he can argue, oh, that's not me. But, you know, there's been many people who have looked at this picture and done, you know, facial recognition techniques. And, you know, we're, we're 99% sure that's George Bush and, and combining that with the document that he actually worked for the CIA at that time, you know, um, it's, it's maybe what you might call circumstantial evidence, but people get convicted on it all the time. Well, Rick, I really appreciate you just hopping on here and sharing some of that uh, extra info before we get out of here. Did, was there something you wanted to correct from the previous episode? Uh, yeah, yeah, there was. So um, the information that we talked about, uh, we, you know, last time we spoke, Tony, a few days ago, we were talking about the paddocks owning property uh, near the Bohemian Grove. So I want to be clear, they're still definitely linked to child porn. All that stuff is still true. But the the uh, was it Bruce Paddock that was on the the deed of this property? It's actually a different paddock. Now, 
the paddocks that own this property are still related to Stephen Paddock and his brothers um, through a few steps, but it's not the paddocks we thought it, it was. So um, that sort of breaks that link that we had between the paddocks directly linked to the Bohemian Grove as far as being really close in proximity to it. Um, but they're still definitely connected to uh, child pornography and those sorts of things. So um, I wanted to just correct that because that's some information that we had uncovered. We realized it wasn't the same uh, same guy, even though they had the same name. All right, man. Yeah, I appreciate that because, I mean, as time goes on doing research and things like that, you're going to come across information that kind of wipes out what you previously thought. And so it's great to just be able to come on and set the record straight and make sure that whatever we put out there is accurate as far as we know. So I really appreciate that, man. No problem, Tony. I thank you for having me on again and getting a little extra tidbit in this episode before it goes live. So for sure, man, uh, I'll, uh, I'll keep in touch with you, man. We'll be in touch. If you have any more information you want to come on and talk about, you're always welcome. Thanks so much, man. You, you have a good one. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed the follow-up episode with Rick, kind of just talking and sharing some information and just kind of catching up with somebody who was actually there being shot at on October 1st. So I, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Like I said earlier in the beginning, if you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com backslash the confessionals. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash the confessionals. There's a lot of great rewards that you'll receive when you become a patron. So check it out if you're interested in doing that. I hope everybody has a great week and stay safe. Take care. And I'll see you right here next week on the confessionals. Mm-hmm.